on 6 August 2020, the United States imposed sanctions on three men and a boat. The men, Libyan nationals, and the boat, an asset of a Maltese company. What connects them all is a criminal network involving the sale of oil and drugs from Libya across the central Mediterranean into Europe. A key player named in the smuggling network was Faisal Alwadi, operator of the sanctioned cargo vessel, the Mariah. The ship is owned by a Malta-based company, Alwefak Limited. Little is known about Alwefak, but the Mariah has been in the crosshairs of law enforcement agencies for years. In this episode of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime, we're in North Africa and the Central Mediterranean, where we investigate how militias and criminal actors in key coastal transport hubs have developed sophisticated maritime routes used in the export of drugs and fuel to Europe. I'm your host, Lindim Tongana. The U.S. Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, stated in a press release that Faisal Alwadi and his operations threaten the peace, security and stability of Libya and deprive the Libyan people of economic resources. Libya's illicit economy reached new heights in the years after the 2011 Libyan civil war. Drug and fuel trafficking added to pressure within Libya as domestic consumption of drugs ballooned and fuel shortages left citizens with few other choices than turning to the black market. So the revolution, the post-revolution scenario created huge opportunities for criminal entrepreneurs and militias with territorial control in Libya. Previously, the Gaddafi regime had a very strong control over both the licit economy as well as law and order and the illicit economy. So while these activities took place, previously they would have taken place with some sort of sanction from the regime. After the revolution, the regime collapsed, and with it collapsed this system of control, if you like, which was, however, replaced with another system of control, a fragmented system of control, where different armed groups and power players that have different control over different areas in Libya would effectively implement a protection racket which in itself enables illicit activity. If we look at drug trafficking and fuel smuggling, what we see is, particularly in the West Coast, so from a town called Zawia, right up to the border with Tunisia, a whole ecosystem was developed around this area to smuggle fuel out of the refinery in Zawia and across the West Coast, finally onboarded onto commercial fuel tankers and shipped out to Europe. In new positions of power, illicit actors also found themselves with unprecedented access to new routes for large-scale drug trafficking. But Mark Mikalev, director of the North Africa and Sahel Observatory at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime, says that two key factors led to the shift from overland to maritime trafficking routes. So on the one hand, you had a collapse of law and order and the replacement 
of a protection system previously held by the state, effectively by the regime, and then later, after the revolution, by the plethora of militias that have territorial control. At the same time, a much larger shift was taking place at a more regional level, which has been seeing the movement, particularly of high-value drugs such as cocaine, which move overland through West Africa and then crossing countries like Mali and Niger and finally reaching southern Libya, crossing Libya, and then a part of these drugs at least get shipped into Europe. While that activity is still taking place over the past few years, it has reduced dramatically as a result of a number of factors, one of them ironically being instability in Libya. Instability reduced the attractiveness of land crossings, of drug trafficking, while at the same time maritime activity became much more attractive and much more feasible for a number of drug trafficking networks. Mark, looking closer at this instability in Libya, How does this organized criminal activity overlap with the ongoing civil war? Typically, the sort of relationship that exists is one of protection and client. Sometimes you have armed groups that are performing both sides of these roles, if you like. They are the protectors of their particular stretch of territory, but at the same time, they're actively involved in the logistics of drug trafficking, for instance. More typically, what you find is drug traffickers who enter into relationships with militias that can protect them or their business or their passage at key points in their routes as they're trafficking their product, essentially. And this more or less dovetails with the political map, if you like, of Libya. To what extent is Libya able to pursue any kind of law enforcement when it comes to addressing this type of activity? There's a very patchy situation in which certain areas, more law enforcement takes place or or can take place than in other areas. There are other areas that are outside of the scope of uh, law enforcement agencies. Some militias have taken it upon themselves to perform law enforcement roles. This does lead to some seizures. Some other militias wear both hats, basically, where, where they're both sheriff and drug trafficker at the same time. So while they will be acting against specific interests of competing drug traffickers or competing armed groups, they will themselves be promoting their own activity. Post-2011, European countries received an influx of migrants from Libya and became more committed to managing and regulating coastal networks. The European Union invested heavily in strengthening the capacity of the Libyan Coast Guard and Italian authorities led targeted initiatives aimed at dismantling smuggling regimes, like Operation Dirty Oil. That specifically targeted fuel smuggling and dismantled what essentially was the largest fuel smuggling network operating out of Libya at the time. And they targeted Libyan, Maltese and Italian actors who were part of organized mafia activity in in Sicily, as well as, as Maltese players who were crucial in bringing together the logistics of this particular network. On the Libyan side, Fahmi Slim Ben Khalifa, who we believe was at the top of this smuggling network, was not arrested as a result of this operation, but was arrested in Libya. We understand under significant pressure by the Italian. What Dirty Oil did very successfully is to expose the extent of the smuggling operation. Unfortunately, the operation stopped at what was taking place outside of Libya. And when I say that, what I mean is 
that the infrastructure delivering fuel from the fuel refinery onto fuel smugglers remains. However, the operation still had a very significant impact in helping to contract quite radically the fuel smuggling operations coming out of Libya as a result of this operation. On the drug trafficking front, there was another operation, Operation Lebecchio, more of an international operation that has targeted a few drug trafficking runs, particularly drugs coming from Morocco, principally cannabis, but also some cocaine, and some of which has been deposited in Libya temporarily to eventually be re-exported to Europe. But experts at the Global Initiative believe that there's still more ground to be covered. Libya had never seen this sort of scale of fuel smuggling prior to the revolution. Most of the fuel smugglers before this point were relatively small players operating contained operations. What we saw after the revolution was the development of effectively transnational organized criminal networks driving off fuel smuggling. With drug trafficking, the situation is a bit more opaque than what we know about fuel smuggling. There has been very little attention paid to drug trafficking coming out of Libya, including, I would say, by European law enforcement entities. Mark, now we're seeing the United States getting involved. What do you think these sanctions against Al-Wadi and his associates will achieve? I think sanctions are very important, primarily because they at least start chipping away at the impunity, which has been underlying a lot of this activity over the past years. And they tend to have a cautionary effect on other players who are active at the moment. This was certainly the case, for instance, when the UN Security Council decided to sanction six smugglers associated with human trafficking and smuggling in in Libya. And this, although... None of the smugglers who have been sanctioned were brought to justice or have been brought to justice yet. There was still an impact on the industry. My sense is that these sanctions by the US are a first step. And as more appetite is ramping up by a number of states, including European states, momentum will keep pushing forward into new areas where sanctions can possibly then be more closely associated with international law enforcement operations. You talk about these sanctions being a first step, but the lives of many Libyans have been completely destroyed over the past decade. In trying to address transnational organized criminal activity, is sanctioning a few actors in a vast criminal enterprise just trying to put a band-aid on a bullet wound? I would turn that on its head in the sense that addressing organized criminal activity coming out of Libya is an important tool in addressing the Libyan conflict. Precisely because of what we were saying earlier, with diverse armed groups who are actively involved in the conflict in Libya, essentially profiting from transnational organized criminal activity. And so taking these actions, imposing sanctions, ramping up law enforcement activities, not only makes sense as a protective strategy by, let's say, European states in trying to safeguard their own territories from uh, this criminal activity, but also as a strategy in reinforcing the state and furthering peace, essentially, and bringing about resolution in in Libya. In addition to listing actors in maritime smuggling from Libya to the central Mediterranean, the OFAC-issued press release also named Herd's Bank as a geographic transfer location for illicit maritime transactions. Herd's Bank lies just outside of Malta's territorial waters home to shell companies and innovative smugglers 
The scale and activity of drug and fuel trafficking in and around the island nation have increased significantly since the 2011 Libyan civil war. Tackling smuggling between post-revolution Libya and Herd's Bank has been a game of cat and mouse for Maltese authorities. Herd's Bank, which is of strategic importance, not only obviously because there have been criminal groups that have actually a footprint in Malta, I would say Herd's Bank, but also Malta itself, offers a very convenient logistical location, very close to Libya, while itself being a European country and a member state of the European Union. As a microstate, Malta offers also an advantage to criminal networks, being that its law enforcement capability is rather weak. The combination of these factors, when you have such a massive geopolitical events like the Libyan revolution, increase the risk profile of, of Malta post-revolution. Trafficking from Libya does not just end in Malta. Herd's Bank simply operates as a relay station for products being moved into Europe. The problem is that, that this is also very convenient for criminal actors, particularly as a relay station. So in order to confuse international law enforcement agencies, Herd Bank offers a very useful relay station in the sense that if you have a vessel departing Libya, if this vessel enters, let's say, a European port, its provenance from Libya might raise questions and scrutiny. If However, that same vessel relays with another vessel which on paper simply transited from a European state and the illicit cargo is transferred from the vessel that came from Libya onto the vessel which was traveling from Europe. Once that vessel goes back to a European port, on paper this vessel traveled from a European port to a European port, which makes its risk profile much lower than there been a direct transfer. That was Mark Mikalev, director of the North Africa and Sahel Observatory at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. One popular destination for illicit goods once they move onward from Malta is Italy. Well before the US sanctioned Alwadi's cargo ship and his associates, a group of Italian journalists worked to investigate the criminal organization's far-reaching networks. Malta is in the heart of the Mediterranean Sea and it's a paradise simply for the reason that it's in a very particular position. Its position is really, really close, particularly to Libya. And its language as well is based half on Italian and the other half on Arabic. So the nature of Malta is to be a bridge between North Africa and Europe. And this bridge can be used by everyone, by tourists or by criminals. That's how it turns into a smuggler's hideout. Lorenzo Bagnoli is an investigative reporter with the investigative reporting project Italy and a GI expert. Malta is a place where there is a very strong Libyan community. And this makes the island a kind of hub, even for legit businessmen, to get into the European market. And usually how it works, criminal colonization of a place is always starting from the local community. These are the external benefits that a criminal from North Africa can have in Malta. The internal one is basically the fact that the island is not very productive. It doesn't have any big business activities or industry because it's tiny and because there's no space for uh, heavy industries. For this reason, the main 
economic pillars of the island are financial services. And these are the kind of activities that are really attractive for criminals, especially if the island wants to turn into a hub for the rest of Europe, a hub to reach other places, a sort of getaway to reach other places, other jurisdictions. Lorenzo, what are the links between Italian organized criminal groups in Malta and Libyan criminal networks? Probably the most interesting example is the fuel smuggler, in particular with Gordon and Darren De Bono. These two businessmen are currently facing a trial in Catania for fuel smuggling. Basically, they were trying to smuggle fuel from Zawia, so Western Libya, to the rest of Europe through Malta. Malta was very important because it was the place where they had people connected to the organization who counterfeit the documents, the paperwork. So this Libyan fuel appeared as a Saudi fuel. So the market value is higher than the Libyan fuel. And also it was impossible to track down the origin of this fuel. And this Maltese criminal organization has member also in Italy, because the main buyer were in Italy and they knew that the fuel was smuggled. And of course, they had also affiliate in Libya. One of the partner is a famous Libyan Coast Guard. His nickname is Albija. He's very famous, especially in Italy, because he was the one who tried to hijack many times NGO vessel or a migrant vessel. And he has been sanctioned by the UN as a human trafficker, one of the main ones in Libya. So the connection between them is quite evident and it's quite strong. Is there evidence to suggest that Maltese officials may themselves be directly involved in some of these illicit activities? It's early to say that there are evidences, but for sure there are leads for investigation about that. There are customer officer and law enforcement agents who are involved in some of the of the most uh, important trials on the island. For example, the one about the killing of Daphne Caruana Galizia, an investigative journalist based in Malta who has been killed with a bomb on, on, on her car. And in that case, with that investigation, there are elements that suggest that there were police officers who were trying to hide some of the evidences about possible murder. And there are other evidences about the fact that the custom agents are very lame with checks on ship that are making exchanges of goods, even uh, illicit goods, in Hertz Bank. Probably uh, one of the hypotheses is that this lack of control is aimed to make this smuggling possible because this is one of the ways for Malta to increase their internal budget. This money somehow arrives to the island. So for sure there are many, many hypotheses and investigation about the role of these law enforcement and custom agents, but we are still far from a conviction. It's evident that fuel and drug smuggling on the Mediterranean is an issue for Italy, but there's an impression that Italy is more concerned with migrant smuggling rather than drugs. Do you agree? In terms of public opinion, there's no doubt. 
the amount of words spent to describe the dangers of illegal migration from North Africa to Italy, I mean, astonishing. But if you talk to law enforcement, they are basically concerned for both, not just for migrants, but also for drugs. And there are examples of joint operation with more uh, law enforcement agencies uh, all across the Mediterranean Sea who are working on every kind of possible smuggling in the Mediterranean Sea. I think that the main problem in this case is politics, uh, because migrants are a very divisive topic in politics. And that's why it's better to stress the danger of illegal migration rather than drugs trafficking. That was Lorenzo Bagnoli, investigative reporter with the Investigative Reporting Project Italy and a GI expert. The vast illicit smuggling network that expands from Herd's Bank is not just for transferring illicit goods from Libya to Europe. According to evidence gathered by experts at the Global Initiative, these routes are also used to smuggle contraband back to criminal networks in Libya. Montenegro's port of Bar acts as a key transfer point in these Libya-bound illicit operations. Montenegro has, it is a tiny country in the last 13 years, it has been turned into an important smuggling hub, not only for the Balkan region, but we can say for all the world. If we want to understand more why Montenegro has kind of like a role in the smuggling, we have to go back 30 years. During that time, 30 years ago, Montenegro was still part of former Yugoslavia, and the authorities in these countries, they were involved in smuggling cigarettes to Italy. So this was a sponsored kind of operation, government-sponsored operation. It was a financial mean in order for Montenegro and the rest of Yugoslavia to survive during the war and sanctions that were imposed at the time in this country. So as a result, the country has had this culture of smuggling, and the smuggling has continued and is continuing to today. Fatione Medini is a field network coordinator for the Balkans at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Fatione, what type of goods are smuggled from Montenegro to Libya? So we have had investigations telling very clearly that an overwhelming majority of the cigarettes being counterfeited in Montenegro, they have been shipped into Libya and then from that point, being distributed in other African countries. Because of the past legacy of a war, Montenegro also has inherited a lot of ammunition. What we have seen is also a, a line of smuggling of ammunition, though this is not the main thing. Although it's very important to mention that some of the guns and ammunition going into Libya and other parts of the Western Africa come from through Montenegro. Because Neighboring countries of Montenegro, like Serbia and Bosnia-Herzegovina, they are producers of guns. And as a result, some of these guns are also bonded to Libya and other places. Now, how much legitimate is this gun, let's say, exporting? This is something that we cannot like really say, because we have to understand the local reality. To what extent are Montenegro's criminal networks linked to those in Libya and North Africa? 
An investigation conducted by Balkan Investigative Reporting Network found out that between 2010 and 2016, there have been hundreds of millions of packs of cigarettes being smuggled from Montenegro to Libya. So this, of course, tells a lot about the intensity of the criminal activity going on between two countries. What are the strategic advantages that Montenegro offers these criminal actors looking to smuggle goods from Libya to Europe and vice versa? I think corruption had made things for criminals easy for many years. We have seen criminals from all around the world, in fact, going and doing business in Montenegro and also laundering money and also having Montenegro as a safe base for their actions. So what we wish is that this situation is going to end. And it's important that with this new government that is taking power in Montenegro, it's very important to really end this culture of impunity. That was Vationa Medini a field network coordinator for the Balkans at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. What seems like a sleepy port of call on the surface can actually be a smuggler's paradise, such as the case with Malta's Herds Bank and Montenegro's Port of Bar, a mere dot on the map these two stations act as transit points crucial to the smuggling of illicit goods like fuel, cigarettes and drugs from Libya to Europe and back again. The recent US sanctions imposed on three Libyan nationals, a cargo vessel, the Mariah, and a business named Al-Wafaq Limited, point to a growing concern about the impact unchecked smuggling to and from war-torn Libya has had on central Mediterranean smuggling networks. But according to experts at the GI, there is still more work to be done. Montenegro's new government might tackle systems that support smuggling, forcing far-reaching criminal organizations to readjust. That's it for this episode of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy. I'd like to thank our guests Mark Mikalev, Lorenzo Bagnoli and Fationa Medini. To learn more about the topics covered in this episode, head over to the GI's website, www.globalinitiative.net, and take a look at Shifting Sands, Libya's changing drug trafficking dynamics on the coastal and desert borders. While you're there, take some time to read some of the GI's other publications. There's a wealth of knowledge to access. You can also find last week's podcast, Gangs in East and Southern Africa, using lockdowns to target children for recruitment. Please take the time to leave a review, subscribe and share the podcast on social media. It helps us get noticed and improve the show. You'll hear from us again in two weeks. We will be focusing on the illicit economy in East and Southern Africa. Until then, this podcast was produced by Alexandria Sahai-Williams. I'm Lindy Tongana. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>